We have a faithful God, don't we? He is our strong deliverer, our strength. And uh, well, good morning, church. It's so nice to see you all. It's been a while. Um, It's good to be with you. My name is Lawrence, and for those of you who don't know me, um, I'm part of the leadership here at Christ Church Baptist Church, and it's my joy to serve you by opening God's Word to teach this morning. As we've heard, Chris is currently on annual leave and enjoying a really well-earned rest, and Kay is recovering, and we pray for Kay. And well, with Chris and Kay away, uh, I'm afraid you've drawn the short straw and you're stuck with me. But we're continuing in our series, The Father Heart of God. And, you know, we've got a lot to get through this morning. But what a series it's been so far. What a series. Do you remember right back at the beginning, Chris reminded us of the parable of the lost son, didn't he? The father who is standing, watching, waiting, and then runs out to meet us when we're still far off in the distance. The father heart of God, bursting with love. And then just a couple of weeks ago, Kay talked to us from the book of Ephesians, and she reminded us that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of the riches of God's grace. And that's the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And God has not just given this. He has lavished it. He's poured it out. He's been completely generous. We learned, didn't we, the Father heart of God lavishes grace. And then just last week, Chris reminded us of our adoption into the family of God. And he reminded us of of the intimacy which is ours with our Heavenly Father. And it was a real challenge to embrace the truth from Scripture. God is Father. That cuts to the very core of our human experience. The Father heart of God inviting intimacy. Well, this week I've been given the title, The Father Heart of God Delivering from Evil. And I guess in some ways it comes at a good time for us, doesn't it? We're heading into the October half term. We're heading towards Halloween, whatever that is. And whether it's about dressing up in silly costumes and knocking on doors for chocolate, or whether it's something a little bit more sinister, whatever it is, let me tell you, if Halloween worries you, what I tell our children at home, what we tell our children. And this is it. We do not celebrate fear. Because God is love, and perfect love casts out fear. It's a good one, isn't it? We do not celebrate fear, because God is love, and perfect love casts out fear. And these words are straight out of the book of 1 John, which is the book that we're going to be looking at a little bit later. And so, you know, we've been given this subject of evil as as something to think about today, and it's a weird subject, isn't it? It, it, It's hard, but... Somehow we need to understand it, we need to be able to relate to it, to understand what it means for us, to understand what it means to think about and understand the world around us. And it's a bit of an odd topic, I'm not going to lie to you, it's an odd topic to be given to speak about on a Sunday. But you know, Jesus himself placed weight on this topic, didn't he? And we've just done it in our intercessions, but in Matthew 6, when he taught us how to pray in verse 13, he said, when you pray, ask that you're not led into sin but delivered from evil. This was a subject for Jesus. It's a big subject in Scripture, and so it's a subject for us. It's a big subject. But because it's a big subject, I want to say we're only going to look at a tiny bit of it today. And uh, because we're only looking at a tiny bit of it, there is a foundational truth that we need to hold to, one that we need to apply and think about as we explore this area of life. And this is the foundational truth, and it's throughout Scripture, and this is it. There is power in the name of Jesus. Do you hear me, church? There is power in the name of Jesus. 
Amen, yes. And so whatever else we discover as we investigate Scripture today, I want you to take away that there is power in the name of Jesus. Whether it's, uh, and by the name, I mean the person and presence of Jesus. So just listen to what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 45. He said this, uh, and it's God speaking. Turn to me and be saved. Turn to me and be saved. Before me, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, and they will say, in the Lord alone is deliverance and strength. There is power in the name of Jesus because there is deliverance and strength in the name of Jesus. So the Father heart of God delivering from evil, God would say to us today that, remember, before me, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that in Jesus alone is deliverance and strength. So that's our foundation. So you might want to grab your Bible and we're going to turn to, uh, towards the back of our Bibles. We've got a big scripture reading to look at. And so I'm going to break it up into some passages. Um, and we'll explore them as we go along. So it's not one big reading. But towards the end of your Bible, there's a series of books which are letters. And they're written um, to people or churches. And they're filled with wisdom and advice. Lots of guidance. And uh, we're going to look at a, a group of books, or one book particularly. But it's, uh, there's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And they're, they're written to, to a church. And uh, John um, is writing in a, John writes in a very similar style to the Gospels of John. So we understand this to be the Apostle John who's writing. And the background to it is that they're now in their old age. But do you know what? They've still got wisdom to share. And they've still got leadership to exercise. And they're looking after house churches. And, uh, or John's looking after house churches. And it's probably in and around the city of Ephesus. But there's been a crisis. There's been a problem. There's an issue that they're having to face. And there is a group of people who have left the church. Um, and they're denying that Jesus was the Son of God. And these people, they're causing trouble. They're stirring up conflict for the faithful people of God. And I want us to hold that in our minds as we look at our verses together. Because these are very complex sentences. Um, and I think they make, a little bit, make it a little bit easier to understand. Now, you'll probably get them as soon as you read them. I needed the help. Um, but this will help us, I'm sure. There's another thing to say about the book of 1 John. Is that there's nothing new in it. John is drawing on the gospel of John. He's drawing on the teachings of Jesus. And he's writing not to argue a case. He's writing to remind those in conflict of what they already know to be true. And so here's a little aside for us um, this morning. How often is it that when we find ourselves in a moment of conflict, a moment of challenge, or a moment of trouble, that our common sense seems to fall out of our heads? Or... We forget ourselves or we forget the very things that we've committed our life to, the things that we built our life on. Well, this story, it's a reminder. It's a reminder to remember what we already know to be true. It's about putting down the conflict, whatever arena that is in our lives, and it's about remembering um, the truth. And Jesus said, didn't he, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. So we know that to be the truth. And we've heard lots of truth. The Father heart of God, bursting with love, lavishing grace, inviting intimacy. This is truth. And today our truth is that the Father heart of God delivers from evil. Some other important things to note about the book of 1 John is that there are two dominant images that John circles around in a poetic kind of a way. If you try and read this book sequentially, it doesn't make much sense. You have to read it and looking at the imagery 
And one of those images, one of those ideas that John is using is God is light against a backdrop of a world in darkness. And he's also using an image of God as love against the backdrop of a world of selfishness and sin. So the first half of this book, then, there's this, this, this idea of light and living in the light. And then John brings this contrast, and he says that the world's darkness is passing away. And he makes a case for why that is so. And you find it in the first two verses of uh, 1 John chapter 2, and it says this. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not only for us, but for the sins of the whole world. The world is passing away. And because of this, John wants to give us some advice. And this is where we pick up our first uh, passage for this morning. So if you want to have a look at 1 John 2, uh, verses 15 to 17, this is what they say. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. For the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. These verses are very different to what has just gone before. God being described as light. It's a deliberate contrast here. And it's inviting us to paint a picture, to use our imaginations, to challenge our attitude towards the world. Just cast your eye back over those three verses. What do you notice? Do you see the choice being offered? There's the love of the world, and then there's the love of the Father. To come from the world, or to come from the Father. The world will pass away, but the one who obeys God remains forever. John is drawing an imaginary line for us, and he's inviting us to consider what side of the line do you stand on? What side of the line do you stand on? There's something else to note in this passage. John uses the word, the world. And he's writing here, he, he's talking about two things. Yes, he's talking about the material universe, the world around us. But he's also talking about the spiritual world, the world of sin that stands in opposition to God. And that world that is in opposition is under the control of the enemy, Satan, the deceiver. And it's in darkness, and it sits under God's judgment. And because it's under God's judgment, John is confident, and we too can be confident, that the world of sin will pass away because the victory has already been won by Jesus on the cross. The Bible is full of stories of people meeting Jesus, stepping into a new reality of hope. And being delivered from evil is simply a life being moved from the darkness of sin into the light of Christ. There's another idea in these verses that I'm sure you've picked up on. But it's the idea of being infatuated with the world and the sorts of behaviors that come from it. In verse 16, it speaks of pride and sexual corruption, which was probably the sorts of conflicts that were happening in the church, the, the trouble that was being stirred up. And here's a thought, and it's a challenge really. Whilst that was then, in that time, and in that place, what about now, in this time, in this place? You know, sin wants to draw us away from Jesus, away from the truth. This is what sin is. It's actions or a will in opposition to God. Sin is from the world of darkness. It is not from God. It might look attractive. Sin, evil, might look attractive, but it will pass away. It is not eternal. 
It's a hard thing to hear. But there's a great benefit in verse 17, isn't there? Whoever does the will of God lives forever. So John is raising another question for us. And the question is this. Whose will are you following? Whose will are you doing? Are you spending your life on something that is passing away? Or are you investing it in something that is eternal? Whoever does the will of God lives forever. Well, that's just three verses. We should probably move on. There's plenty to get through. Um, And in the next uh, verses, John is giving us a warning about the people who have left the community, who've left the church, the people who are causing trouble. And he says, those who are denying Jesus, he gives them a name. He calls them the antichrists, those who are against Jesus, those who deny and deceive. And these are in contrast, again, to those who know the truth. So back into our Bibles, uh, John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, and now we're going to look at verses 18 to 27. <coughs> Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us. They did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever that denies Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever accepts the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will receive in the Son and in the Father. Sorry, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what is promised us eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, your anointing, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, Just as it is taught you, remain in him. It's a lot of words to get to that instruction that we need to hear this morning, isn't it? Remain in him. There are those that want to lead you astray, lead us astray. There are those who want to draw us away from Jesus. But the encouragement this morning is to remain in him. Some other things to notice. John refers to the last hour. And we're now in the time after Jesus' death on the cross his resurrection to life, his ascension to heaven, his sending of the Holy Spirit as he sits on his heavenly throne and redeems and makes the world new. So John can write with confidence that we're in the last hour because he knows that the redemptive plan has already been put into action. He knows that the course correction has been made, that the end outcome is secure. Even Jesus said on the cross that it was finished, it was done. And so we can be confident too. And so as we find ourselves in the the bit before the end, the now and the not yet, this tension between the two things, it's why we sometimes see that the kingdom of God is breaking in in some places and some lies and that sometimes, and yet in other places, lies and times, it just doesn't seem quite yet. But it's coming. And so we pray and we intercede and we keep on going because it's coming. The kingdom of God is coming in all of its fullness. And we know what it looks like, don't we? My favorite verse is from Scripture, Revelation 21. Listen to this. Look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. So, church, as we look around the world and we look out at the world around us, do not get discouraged. The kingdom is coming, and it's coming in all of its fullness. And what we've experienced now as Christians is just a taste of the glory that is to come. So do not get discouraged. The kingdom is coming. It's finished. So remain in him. In these verses, John also talks about the Antichrist, He's referring to the enemy of God's people, Satan, but he's also talking about those who work in opposition to God. And the reality is, and we'll see it in a moment, that God who is in us is stronger than the enemy who is in the world. And John gives us a bit of a warning in these verses. He says, look, you can't pick and choose the bits that you like and the bits that you don't. If you say that Jesus isn't the Christ, you can't have a relationship with God the Father. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, you can't have a relationship with our creator God of the universe. It's just not possible. If you deny the Son, you deny the Father. You can't pick and choose. It's an all-in kind of a thing. And so another question for John then is this. Uh, From John, for us. Are you all-in when it comes to Jesus as Lord and Savior? Or are you holding parts of your life back? Have you surrendered everything to Christ? Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's an all-in kind of a thing. The generous, lavish, bursting with love heart of the Father. It promises, he promises eternal life. All we have to do is remain in him. So let me encourage you, like Chris reminded us last week, to foster that relationship with Father God, the intimacy that he spoke about. You need that relationship to be strong so that when sin, when evil catches your eye, it will not draw you away from your heavenly father, but instead you would cling even more tightly to him. Remain in him. Remain in him. John says in chapter 3 of uh, 1 John that God's children, they're about love. They don't hate. And this love for God's children is extreme. It looks like laying your life down for another. It looks like being incredibly generous, giving to those in need. It's trusting God. And then he warns about the deceivers. And this time he calls them false prophets. Those who claim to speak for God, but don't because they deny that Jesus is Lord. And we come to our third and final passage of scripture, which is 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's that promise. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
They are from the world, and therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So John is giving us an an understanding, an insight into how the world works. There is the Holy Spirit who comes from God, who glorifies and elevates the Son, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. That is the Holy Spirit. That is God with us now. And then John talks about, in chapter 4, verse 3, he talks about the spirit of the Antichrist, which he notes is welcomed by the church in verse 5. And he says, who sabotages the truth about Jesus in verse 2. This is what we are warned to look out for. But it's okay, because John gives us two handy tests, which we can apply to work out whether teachers are true from God or whether they are false teachers. (coughs) First, what do they say about Jesus? Because if the Spirit of God is in them, then the Holy Spirit always glorifies the Son of God. Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. Just check out uh, John 15, verse 26. And then the second test is, what does the world think about them? We know, don't we, that God so loved the world that he sent his Son to save it. And we celebrate that. But John also knew that the world was hostile towards God. It was a place where the forces of evil are at work. And so for John, it makes sense that false prophets, false teachers find good reception in the world. Whereas the church, with the word of God, the Holy Spirit illuminating truth, God's people coming together to listen to the voice of God because the sheep know the shepherd's voice. The people, the church, together, corporately discerning truth under God. When the spirit of God inspires a prophet or a teacher, God's people together will discern God's truth. So when we encounter people in the world who claim to dispense truth, we have some tests to apply. Does uh, does what they teach glorify Jesus? And do we together as church discern it to be true? We find ourselves, don't we, in a time which is incredibly subjective, where one's own experience is the only measure of truth that is seen to be needed. And we're invited by society, by the world, to a buffet of spirituality, a buffet of values and beliefs. But... Does it glorify Jesus? And, to, and do we together as church discern it to be true? These are our tests. These are our safeguards. So, how does the Father deliver us from evil? Well, the first thing is he does it, we don't. He's already set a plan in motion where the victory was won on the cross. Jesus declared that it was finished. Yes, look, we have to be careful. The world is full of distractions. But as God's community, as God's people, together we will stand together as we wait for the full coming of the kingdom of God. And as we wait, we pick up the identity of being the children of God. And because of that, we center our whole lives, everything, on the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. We follow his example of extreme self-sacrificing love. We know from John chapter 14, verse 9, that if we want to see the Father... We have to look at the Son. If we want to see the Father heart of God for his people, it looks like his Son on a cross. It's God's extreme self-sacrificing love for his people, for his creation, for each one of us. And it's that love that casts out fear and chases away evil. That's the love that chases away evil. 
So there's been a lot of challenges from these three passages from 1 John, hasn't there? What, sort of the, what side of the line are you on? Whose will are you following? Whose will are you doing? Don't spend your life on something that is passing away, but invest it in something that is eternal. Yes, look, we're in the last hour, but the kingdom is coming. It's coming in all of its fullness. So be brave. Stay the course. Remain in him. And when it comes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, remember, we can't pick and choose. We need to be all in. It's an everything kind of a thing. And as we are giving everything to Jesus, don't get distracted by the sin and the falsehood that we often find in the world. But instead, hold to the truth that glorifies Jesus as the Son of God. And together as church, we will discern God's will and together we will remain faithful. There's a verse in Romans uh, 10, verse 13, which says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. So let's end where we started this morning. Church, a day is coming soon when every knee will bow, when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, because there is power There is deliverance and strength in the name of Jesus. The Father heart of God, who leads us not into sin, but delivers us from evil. Because it's his kingdom, it's his power, and it's for his glory. And you know what? It's going to be forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen.